We are going to kind of jump right into our study on the life of Christ, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you will turn to your bi- in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, probably one of the most uh, familiar portions of Scripture and incidences of the life of Christ. And uh, it's one of my prayers uh, this morning is, is that the familiarity that we have with the story won't kind of dull our having God speak to us. Because God wants to say to us uh, something to us today. And even though it's a story we know very well, I'm asking you to open up your hearts that he might speak to you. So if you have gotten to John chapter 3, 16, uh, chapter three we're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to ask you if you would stand together in reverence to the word of God. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. And let's say that last verse together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. may be seated. Now this visit by Nicodemus was not a coincidental meeting. It wasn't like Jesus was out on the streets, you know, preaching and bumped into Nicodemus. And and, and so Nicodemus says, hey, while you're here, I have some questions here. Remember, Nicodemus... We know a lot about him. We know that he was a Pharisee. That would make him an expert in points of the Jewish law, in Jewish history, and and all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Nicodemus, we're also told, was not just a Pharisee, but he was also one of the the rulers on the Jewish council. Way back in the very beginning of verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus, being a ruler of the Jews, that means he would be very much on top of the Jesus situation. 
If we go just back one chapter, we'll put this verse up here for you, but in John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he, speaking about Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observed his signs which he were doing. So, so the very fact that Jesus has already been there, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been doing miracles, this would have sparked a meeting by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees. And they would have had debate, they would have been discussing about this man, Jesus Christ. You know, is he the Messiah? Is, is he another prophet? Or, or is he a, a fraud? Now from what Nicodemus had seen and heard, there seems to be this spark of hope in his mind that Jesus was their Messiah, that he was their Savior. He's the one that they have been waiting for, but he's not sure about that. You know, he still has doubts. He still has, you know, fears in his mind. And so you see, it's not a chance meeting with Jesus. He actually seeks Jesus out to meet him at a time when no one else would see that Nicodemus is there. He comes to him at night. And you kind of get the idea of him, you know, in the long flowing robe, you know, walking down the street, looking around, making sure nobody's seeing him, you know, until he finally gets to the door and he, he knocks quietly, pushes himself, you know, uh, uh, against the door so, you know, people can't identify him. He has questions. He wants to see Jesus, but, you know, he has that hope, but he still has that fear. And what I want to do, I want to first draw your attention to Nicodemus' initial statement that he made to Christ, and then our Lord's response to it. It's interesting. He says in verse 2, he said, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, once again, we know this story. It's so familiar to us that we, we kind of miss what's happening here. G, Nicodemus asks Jesus, or excuse me, makes a statement to Jesus, and Jesus goes off on a different tangent. I mean, he's talking about, you know, complimenting Jesus. We know you're a teacher. You do these great signs and wonders. We know you're from God. And it's like Jesus said, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Christ answered a question that Nicodemus had in his heart that Nicodemus didn't even voice, that didn't even said. You know, this tells us a lot about the condition of Nicodemus' heart because Christ would have been able, as the Son of God, as God, to know the condition of his heart. And again, it, it's only conjecture on my part here but I honestly believe that Nicodemus had a genuine desire to know God. He had a genuine heart to, to obey scriptures. I mean, unlike many of his fellow Pharisees, that the position was all about prestige and how they were seen in the eyes of man, it just seems that Nicodemus knew that there was something that was missing in his life. Again, he still has fears, he still has doubts but he has enough to go pursue it, enough to go ask some questions. I mean, he could fool others, you know, with his, his haughty mask that he wore as a Pharisee, but deep down, he knew that he had a heart of sin, 
And he knew that that heart of sin was keeping him away from God. So now enter Jesus Christ into his life. You know, he, he sees Jesus out in the marketplace. He sees him teaching. He sees him performing these miracles. And while other of his Pharisees were threatened and they became hardened in his heart, within Nicodemus came a light of hope. What if it's true? What if Jesus Christ really is the answer? What if he really is our only hope? That he is the only way and truth and the life to get unto the Father? What if it's true? So Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus just gets right to the point, right to the heart of the matter for Nicodemus. You must be born again. That was Jesus' answer to Nicodemus' need. You know, fine, you know, he wanted to compliment, he wanted to have all this small talk as he kind of came to Jesus and, and entered into it, and he was kind of Nicodemus all around the peripheral things, you're a great teacher, and all these miracles, we know you're from God. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. You must be born again. And that's the answer for you today. If you know in your heart that you are separated from God today, even though outwardly people might look at your life and you may have some things about your life that people might admire and want to emulate, whatever. If you have this hope but you have this fear, Jesus Christ has one statement for you today. You must be born again. You don't need a facelift. You don't need a makeover. You don't need to try to straighten out your life, you know, so God would accept you. You need a new you. You need a new heart. You must be born again. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that you must be born again? Verse 5 makes a statement. That again, initially, it, it's confusing. Jesus answered, you know, to Nicodemus' question, how can you be born, you know, born twice? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Born of the water, born of the Spirit. You've got to be born again. Yeah, you've been born and you have to be born again. Well, what is this talking about? Well, let's just, you know, digress from the, the dialogue here for just a little bit. And let's talk about, you know, what some people would take this to mean. Um, some people, when it says you must be born of the water and born of the Spirit, believe this is a, a reference to baptismal regeneration. So that... A person has to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they also have to have a water baptism similar to what we do. And, and that those two things, that act of being baptized, is part of the salvation process. Now again, I, there was a, a young man who grew up in this church. He, he moved away. And a couple years ago, he called me. And uh, he, he's involved in his faith. And he said, uh, I don't know if this was a guy at work or, or some, a friend that he knew or whatever, but that friend was all over him about baptismal regeneration. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the verses that he used was concerning here. Talk about. I said, well, what other verses did he use? And one of the verses he quoted, 
he, uh, and, and actually, he sent me these verses here. It was from 1 Peter chapter through 2, or 3, verse 21. We'll put that partially up for you. He said this, he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. He said, my friend said, it, can it be any clearer that God is saying baptism now saves you? And so I said, well, what does the rest of the verse say? What does the rest of the verse say? Go ahead. It says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes it fear clear. It's not that water baptism, not that removal of, of that dirt from the flesh. I'm not talking about water here. He's talking about something deeper about that baptism that saves you. He's talking about the baptism that when we baptize somebody, it's a symbol, it's an outward expression of something that's been done inside of us that we have identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been baptized into the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's inconsistent with other places of Scripture where it talks about how you get saved and how you are born again. And it doesn't mention baptism at all. If, if that was one of the steps, if there's two things you have to do to be saved, you know, then whenever it talks about salvation, it would mention those two things. I mean, you certainly wouldn't want it to be incomplete. And certainly if Christ meant baptism here when he was talking to Nicodemus, he could have just said baptism. I mean, according to their Jewish customs that they had, water was used in all sorts of things. It was used in, in, in the washing of the whole body. It was used in the washing ceremoniously of the hands. It was used in the, the washing of the feet. And, and I mean, so, so they're very familiar with this. Christ could have just very simply said baptism. But he didn't. He's talking about a washing. Uh, he's talking about a water here. Um, I think common sense would kind of give us a little bit understanding of what this really means. Um, Christ isn't telling us two things that need to take place before you can get saved. In context, he is actually talking about two births. Remember, that's what he said, you must be born again. And, you know, this statement he makes is in reference to Nicodemus's question, how can he be born twice? I mean, that's what he's, he's trying to answer here. I mean, just ask that question. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And to that, Christ answers, and I'll just summarize it here. Christ answers, yes, you need to have a physical birth, but also you need to have a spiritual birth. Uh, very probably the water that he's referencing here is referencing the whole birth process. As a child is, is you know, surrounded by the ambiotic fluid and, you know, a woman's water breaks just before, you know, the birth. And that, that's probably a reference. You have to have that birth. You have to have that water birth. But you also have to have a spiritual birth. You know, further supporting that, Christ restates what he means in verse 6. He goes on there and he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. So he's, he's back to these two births. The, the, the water birth he's talking about, that which is born of flesh is flesh. He's, he's talking about us being born, coming into this world here. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's differentiating. He's not giving you two things for salvation. He's differentiating two types of births that you have to have. A physical birth, and then you need a spiritual birth. You know? And, and from this point on, 
Christ's interaction with Nicodemus, he's not going to say anything about baptism anymore. He's not going to talk about water whatsoever. He is going to focus on the rebirth of the heart, about the spiritual rebirth. In verse 7, he says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Christ is trying to help Nicodemus understand it, and, and he uses a, an illustration to help him understand this, this spiritual birth. And, and, and I think that illustration can help us here. Um, he talked about the wind. He talked about the wind. He says, you don't know where it starts. You don't know how the wind travels. The only evidence that you have that the wind is there is by the change upon physical things. You can hear the wind as it's whistling through the trees. You can't hear the wind just blowing through the sky, but you can hear it as it's whistling through the trees or around buildings. Certainly you can see evidence of the wind. Matter of fact, if I asked you guys if these windows were open here, if I said, hey, you know, is it windy out there today? What would you do? You wouldn't look up into a clear sky to try to see the wind, but you'd look for evidence of the wind. You'd look for to the treetops. You'd look to see if the grass was blowing, you know, or paper is blowing around, or is, or is it just still? You would look for evidence of it. So if you are a Christian, this is what Jesus is saying here. If you're a Christian and a spiritual rebirth has taken place, Sure, we can't see it in the heart. Nobody, you know, when I'm walking out on the street, I can't identify, oh, that person's a Christian, that person's not a Christian, that person, I can, there's no way I can tell that by the outward, but I can certainly tell it by what is seen in their life. If I follow them around long enough, it will be evidenced. A true spiritual birth will be evidenced. And again, we're not talking about working for your salvation here. You know, I can't change my physical actions and so, by so doing, bring a spiritual birth. I mean, if that could happen, Nicodemus would have had it. Christ wouldn't have said, you have to be born again. Nicodemus had all the outward expressions, but what he didn't have is a reborn heart. He wasn't born again, and there wasn't that evidence of that Holy Spirit working in his life, because when you are born again, it will be visible. Every single believer, the moment that you accept Christ, that you are genuinely saved, you are given the Holy Spirit to reside in your heart. Again, I don't understand all of it, but I understand enough of it, that God places the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, inside of our heart. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us. Who, who did this? God did this. He also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. God has placed God the Holy Spirit in our heart. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, In him, Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So one of the things that, of reasons we are given the Holy Spirit within our hearts, number one, it is a seal. He, God places his seal upon us, that we are one of his children, and it's to help us to live our life 
It's to help us to, 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 to know what to do and not to do. It's that still small voice in our hearts. But it is also a pledge of promise that he has given to us. When you know you have the Holy Spirit living within you, God's, that's God's reminder to you that you're one of his children. And you'll have ups and downs. You'll have struggles. You'll have failures. You'll have victories. But through it all, God, God wants you to know I've given you a pledge guaranteeing what is to come for you. The Holy Spirit, is, his work is to bring about a rebirth of our life. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's that washing, there's that water. He's talking about the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Make that very, very clear. If you're a Christian, you know, you have the Holy Spirit. And you cannot be saved and not be changed. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to live within your life, part of that is to give us a rebirth. You cannot be saved and your life not changed. You cannot be saved and your life not be changed for Jesus Christ. Either your actions will change or certainly if they don't change, the guilt over your sin, your, your attitude, the conviction of that sin will be heavy upon you. I mean, God promises in Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he scourges every son he receives. So in other words, if I am his child, and I'm not living with evidence of the Holy Spirit, I'm living in sin, you know, I'm going to have conviction in my life. I'm going to have correction coming in my life. And if that's not coming in my life for my sin, well, it's because I'm not a child of his. You know, I, I, I discipline my kids. I don't discipline your kids. God the Father disciplines those who are his. And he, he works with us to bring about that image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I cannot emphasize this enough. It says, spirit gives birth to spirit. You cannot be saved and not be changed. It's just an impossibility in the Christian faith. I heard Billy Graham years ago, the late Billy Graham, he believed, he said that he believed that up to 50% of most people in the church are not really saved. He believed that 50% are not really saved. Now, I'm not sure about that. And I mean, he didn't have any statistics. There wasn't any survey here. I mean, he was probably looking at people's actions. And I don't know if he was talking about all churches that are out there necessarily. But again, just to think about the possibility that there could be anyone sitting here today you know, that, that come to church and we're, you know, we're friends with them. We love you guys and you love us and all of that. But, but there's someone here like Nicodemus. Someone who has that on the outside, but they know in their heart. They know in their heart that something is missing. They know in your heart when it's just them and God. They can fool all of us, but when it's just them and God, they know that they need to be born again. Maybe you've got a number of externals. You go to church. You probably even serve in a ministry. But in your heart, you know something is missing. Maybe you've come to God with small talk, kind of like Nicodemus did. Hey, I know, you're, you, know you do great things and you're great teaching. And well, Christ has one interest in your life right now. And that is you must be born again. 
That is God's interest in your life. You say, well, how do we do this? How, how can we be born again? Well, he goes on. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him, believes will in him have eternal life. So what Christ is doing here to Nicodemus, again, he's the teacher of his people, he is calling to, to his memory a very real-life example from Israel. He's taking them back to way out when Israel was freed from the Egyptian slavery. And remember, they crossed the Red Sea, and they were out in the wilderness, and God was reading, leading them. And pretty soon, we all remember what happened, that the people began to grumble against God, grumble against, uh, against Moses. They didn't like their conditions and their living, and they began to, to, to yearn for their past life. Well, in response to their sin, God sent poisonous snakes among the Israelites that would bite them, and they became very, very sick, you know, as a punishment for their sin. The people, they began to repent. God got their attention, whom the Lord loves. You know, he, he, he scourges, he disciplines everyone he receives. He got their attention. So God told Moses to make a bronze snake head and to put it on a pole. And anyone who wanted to be free from the consequence of their sin, of their grumbling against God, you know, the consequence that snake bite, anyone who wanted to be healed was told to look at that bronze snake and they would be healed. So true to life, those who looked at the snake, those who believed God, those who stepped out in faith, they lived. But there were those who didn't. Who knows why? Maybe they thought, well, you know, I've gone to the doctor, the doctor's going to take care of this, or I'm just going to wait it out, or I'm just going to use an ointment or some medicine, and it'll take care of this. But many died. You see, Christ is giving Nicodemus a prophecy here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Just like that bronze snake was lifted up for all to see, Christ is saying that he is going to go to the cross. He is going to be nailed to the cross. And he is going to be lifted up. And upon him is going to be placed the consequences of all of our sin, placed upon him. And everyone who believes... Everyone who looks to Jesus, who believes that this is God's answer for our sin problem, anyone who puts their faith and trust in him will be saved. You know, and that, that salvation will be evidenced by the Holy Spirit. Those who do not truly believe, they will die spiritually, and they will face hell. And then finally he goes on and he says, for God... And this is his appeal to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That's a powerful verse. I know we know it. We see that sporting events. But do you understand what God is asking of you today? If you, if you have a fear of what it means to turn your life over to God, you have a fear of how God would receive you, whatever it might be, your sin might be, 
But do you have that hope? What if this is true? What if he is the Savior, the only way? God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Now I want to go back in conclusion here. I want to go back to the first illustration that Jesus used. He's talking about the wind and, and kind of close this and help us to maybe make some decisions for Christ here today. Um, I've got an example here and I used this this years ago but I think it's a very good visual example for us. Christ talked about the wind and the evidence of, of the wind in our life. And there are some of you here in this church that are just filled with the Spirit. And, and I know you're filled with the Spirit because I can evidence it by seeing your life. You love the Lord. You serve the Lord. And when nobody else is around to be able to see you, you know, I can walk in on you and you're reading the Word of God or you're praying and you're serving and, and, and you can see that your life has changed. I mean, I see a humbleness, a brokenness. There's repentance. There's mercy. There's grace. And, and you know, it, it's evidenced in our life. But then there are some of you here, you know, that and you're still Christians and, and you've given some of your life to Christ, but you haven't given them all. There's still a lot of rooms that you haven't allowed him in. And, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's working, but you're kind of hindering the Holy Spirit working in your life. There are still others of you are here that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And to be honest, yeah, there's a little bit of evidence, a little bit of movement. But most of your life is spent grieving the Holy Spirit. God's trying to nurture you. He's trying to move you in one direction or another. And you just keep putting roadblocks up. You know, God, God isn't going to make you. He gives you a free will to serve him. He wants you to come to serve him, to, re, to return that love for you having, that he has for you, to have that same love for you. And some, sometimes our lives are like this. And there are others of you here today that you are just like this flag. This flag is here, these ribbons here, but there's absolutely no evidence of their moving in our life. These ribbons are here in this church, but they're not doing anything. They don't have that relationship. They don't have any of movement or, and that purpose for what they've been created. Well, if you're at that point in your life, you know, where maybe you see just, you know, whichever of those breezes are blowing here, where do you identify today? What do you identify with? I mean, are you full-blown, sold out for Jesus Christ? Or maybe, well, you know, I'm sold out more than the next guy, but you still have those things you're holding back. And maybe there's some there that, boy, you are just so backslidden, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, God wants us. God wants us to be full of him. God wants that evidence to be true. I want to talk real quickly here because this is Nicodemus' situation and this, this is the conclusion of the message. The whole point was that Nicodemus was religious, but he was not a Christian. 
And if Nicodemus does not give his heart to Jesus Christ, does not accept him for the forgiveness of his sins, when Christ is lifted up on that cross, if he does not believe that he is the payment for the sin, Nicodemus, with all of his religiosity, is going to end up in hell. And it doesn't matter how nice of a guy he was. It doesn't matter how popular he was. It doesn't matter the influence he had. He must be born again. And if you're here today, and you're thinking, you know, am I, am I there? You know, I've been in church for a long time. I've even served in church. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't want small talk. He doesn't want you to come and say, wow, look at all that the church does. and We just love the church. God says, you must be born again. That's all great. That's all fine. God's concern with you today is you must be born again. Well, look at all that our church does. You know, we got VBS coming up, and we're doing all this stuff with missions. God says, fine, you must be born again. That is God's concern with you and your relationship. Not your service, not what you're giving, or anything like that. That is meaningless until you take care of this one point, that you are truly born again. And I'm going to pray in a moment, if there's anyone here, I'm, I'm not, just to let you know ahead of time, I'm not going to be asking you to come forward. After the service, I'd love for you to come and, and talk to me, but if you pray with me, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you're praying this in your heart, today could be the day that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and again, I said this last week, I mean, it would, it would just break my heart to know that some that I consider in my church family, you know, that we see out here, that one day when we get to heaven, they would be saying, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. If you're ready to give your heart, to surrender your heart, to accept Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I invite you to just pray along with me. Just bow your heads if you would. Father God, you have made it so simple, but Father, so difficult for us. You have done the work. You paid the price for my sin. You've reached out to me in your word and in the gospel and explained to me what you've done. God, you have done it. That's made it so simple, but Father, I know and I understand what it truly means to have you as Savior and Lord, that we are making a rebirth, that my life to be changed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And right now, if any are here, opening up their hearts, saying, Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I confess myself a sinner before you. You know the specifics. But God, right now, what I know is that you willingly went to the cross to die for me, to forgive me, to bring me to yourself, to save me. Thank you, Father. And Lord, I just pray for all of us here that as this we consider where we are in our walk with Christ, where that wind is blowing, how much we're allowing it to blow, Father, wherever we are, help us to make a decision for you to be stronger, to be deeper, to be surrendered more. Whatever it would take, Father, 
No, it's just easy in this culture that we live in. It, it's easy to get con so consumed with ourself and with keeping up with what's going on around us. But Father, we understand that this is all going to pass one day. And only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. So help us as your children, wherever we're at, to seek to grow in our relationship with you and our service to you. Thank you in thy son's name we pray.